The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It's Thursday. I'm here. It's the dejected Jay Sandoz alongside Keith Brake. I'm hyped because we got a game tonight. Good for you. Yeah, I'm hyped up for the game tonight, man. It is a big game. Brooks Jim, Wofford. ETSU, and of course we won't have another one. So Wofford Furman on Saturday. We won't break into that. Wait, can I can I can I say it? Can I say it? Yes. The battleground, Brooks Gymnasium. I sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> I love an inside joke. Kicks we, off the show. We found we found that earlier, and of course the team we're going to talk about at length on the men's side in this edition of the Jay and Keith Show was in there as well. I believe you know which team I'm referring to. The Furman Paladins. There it is. The, yeah. fir- the Furman Paladins. <laughs> yes. All right, who had a worse day? The The Furman Paladins. Or me on that last second call, which I'm not going to play, but uh, I'll just like Keith, oh, no. Keith listen to my dejection. Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, yes. uh, uh, it was like a balloon. Like, I was hyped. I was there. Bucks are finally going to get one. Finally going to get over the hump. My guy Harrison is going to hit. Oh, no. And there it went. They let me believe. They let me believe. I'll tell you what, though. It was uh, – it's. I knew it was going downhill when Purple Thunder was showing up, and they weren't supposed to – you know, we were originally told they weren't going to perform, and, and those that go to Southern Conference Tournament, no Purple Thunder. It is an outstanding show, don't get me wrong. I was thoroughly entertained. But as a broadcaster trying to do a halftime show. Yeah. With a speaker in front of you, it is impossible. <laughs> And, and it's just, I mean, yes, and add, you know, 37 decibel to that, and that's about what it sounded oh, like. Oh, wow. Um, it's louder than me. I, I could I could go toe-to-toe with Purple Thunder it, on uh, a halftime show. Yeah, it's it's. I could loud. go toe-to-toe with Purple Thunder. So, Ari had that, and I'm like, you know what, here we go. And then, you know, the 212 fans were into it, really making a lot of noise. The five people behind me. That we're letting Jalen hate. That I guess the book's out on Jalen. If you can just get somebody to say something to him, whether it's forty-two or five, like he just he cannot not hear it. And he's uh, you like the double negative there. But there's no way he's not going to let you know that he's heard you and pay attention to you. And then that just increases the heckling that goes on. But I thought the Bucks really. I mean, the last four minutes held Western Carolina to two points. Got big stops. Able to go. I was afraid they were going to get a bad look at three instead of maybe go inside and go to overtime where I thought they did have an advantage. They actually did go inside. It's one of those plays where, like, you know what, early first half, probably a foul, but late in the game, let's be honest, you try to let, uh, you know, unless it's the NFL Super Bowl, they try to let players make plays, right, that type deal. Yeah. And I thought for sure I would have, even though we don't bet here on the uh, podcast, I would have bet dollars to donuts that Jalen Haynes was going to try to shoot the ball from the backside of the basket. 
I, I had that convinced in my mind when he got the ball with about a second and a half left, two seconds, whatever it was, yep. that he was going to fire some ridiculous shot that wasn't going to be close. And then he ended up making a nice pass to Harrison, a good look as you're going to get. And, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't go. And now West Carolina's in the driver's seat for the four seed. And if ETSU would have won that, there would have been a three-way tie between uh, – was that Wofford? That would have been three-way tie between Western, Chattanooga, ETSU. Correct. Now all of a sudden – uh, you know, it's uh, Western Chattanooga, Wofford, ETSU battling for who is going to be the odd man left out of uh, the Saturday and have to play Friday. And right now, some things pointing uh, towards the schedule not in ETSU's favor because they've got a very mad Furman team that we'll talk about in just a second. They've got to play UNCG. They do get the Citadel. We'll talk about them in a second as well. But the schedule doesn't really break out as well for ETSU as it does for the other two teams. No, it really doesn't. And – um, I mean, if I were to just pull up Massey right now, I, I even think, you know, that matchup with El Cid would probably be a challenging one uh, in the eyes of the computers for, for ETSU just because um, this team has had those sorts of, of struggles down the stretch. So, okay, I got um, Massey gives ETSU a 20% chance to win at, at Furman. Honestly, I would take that. Yes, yes, because I would put it less, but yes. Uh, 75% chance of the Citadel at home, and then UNC Greensboro at home, 45% chance. So, um, you've lost three of your last four. Uh, you've kind of, I th- feel like Western Carolina was really the opportunity to put yourself in the 4-5 matchup. Now you're kind of, you're, you could maybe hope to get to five, but your best bet lies in getting to six. And being the last team sort of uh, uh, up the ladder before the ladder gets pulled up and you have to play on Friday. Now, the good news for ETSU is if they stay tied with Wofford for the sixth seed, they did sweep the season series. Correct. So they have that um, in their favor. But the problem is, again, ETSU, Furman, UNCG, both, you know, tied for second right now at 12 and three. And then you got Citadel five and 10. Now, you do get Citadel at home. I would say that would be uh, mm-hmm. one thing that we're. Excuse me, Citadel's had a little bit of struggles, has been on the road. But for Wofford, you know, their remaining schedule, I'll be curious to see, you know, who they got and how that breaks down. Yes. Um, for Wofford? For Wofford, because that's so in their So, Wofford has the Citadel and VMI on the road and then Chattanooga at home. I mean, VMI is – okay. So, they've got a win against VMI. They're at – They have to go to Charleston. Yeah, see, that that's that's one it could get them. And then who's their last game? Uh, Chattanooga in Spartanburg. Yeah, and Chattanooga – Chattanooga's now starting to quietly make some noise. They and some. smashed VMI in the first half yeah, last Yeah, when it was like 47-11 or something, I turned it off. Uh, not turned it off, but uh, I wasn't watching it. But I decided uh, – I've usually on my screen, I don't know how you have yours, Keith, but if there are multiple SOCON games going at the same time, I have the live stats of our game that we're broadcasting. And then I would have all the other live stats. So I can just click, 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 click. Instead of having a scoreboard, I kind of do it that way. But I went ahead and X'd out of the Chattanooga one when I saw it. It was uh, 47-14 at half, I yeah, believe. whatever. Yeah, so and, I clicked out um, of that. That was – I was kind of like, there's nothing left to be proven here. This is uh, clearly going to go one team's way. And uh, Chattanooga starting to get better. Now, granted, VMI is kind of – I think they saw an opportunity to go on the road and beat ETSU, and they gave it everything they had, and now they got nothing left. That's honestly kind of my read on the key debts is they, they threw the kitchen sink at the Bucks, um, and now it's just 
okay, well, we're playing out the string because uh, VMI's schedule is not particularly kind. They play Samford on Saturday, then Wofford next Wednesday and at Western Carolina. So those are going to be all really difficult games uh, to win. ETSU, though, really, the game that we're going to talk about is more of a game that just matters from the perspective of you want to win every game that you play. The next is really next week against the Citadel is the game that decides whether you play on Friday or Saturday. If you win against Furman, if you go on the road, you pull off the upset against the Paladins, hey, that's great. That's a big feather in your cap because few, if any, of the teams that you're going to be stacked up against have a win over Furman, except obviously the Citadel. Uh, <sighs> wow. Uh, anyway, the point is, the more wins you get, the better your chances of being off of Friday. What you really need, if if you just look at it and say, what is the bare minimum we have to have to not play on Friday? You got to beat the Citadel next week in, in Johnson City. And if you don't beat them in Freedom Hall and the Citadel wins that game and they win one other game, I mean, then it suddenly gets really dicey. We could start talking about ETSU potentially finishing as low as nine because this group from five to nine is pretty tightly bunched together. I think it's two games separate fifth and ninth. And a lot and a lot of those teams are playing each other over the last week and a half of the season. 1984-85, and I think both games were in 1985 portion of the schedule was the last time West Carolina swept ETSU in the regular wow. season. Wow. And I just, man, there were so many indicators that you look at and you say, Bucks probably should have, or, or in other circumstances, would win that game. Right? They they didn't get destroyed on the glass. It was minus three, I think. They were plus, was it plus six on turnovers? Points off turnovers were... Plus 16 on plus, turnovers. They had seven to six, so plus nine on plus turnovers. Plus nine on turnovers, and then plus 16 on points off turnovers. Uh, they won bench points. How many times has that happened this year? Not many. I think it happened against VMI in Lexington, and uh, before that, maybe one of the D2 opponents early in the year. Uh, it doesn't happen. Very often, or hasn't happened very often for ETSU because the depth of this program has been so strained for so much of the year with Jancic being hurt, Tipler stepping away from the program, Seymour had a concussion early, uh, uh, Taylor broke his wrist. You know, there just hasn't been a lot for Desmond Oliver to go to off the bench. Bucks won bench points. They won points in the paint, I believe. Not by much, but they did win points in the paint. They won second chance points. Uh, they... <laughs> I they, they held Western Carolina to seven made threes, which is typically an indicator that the Catamounts did not win. And just, it came down to one final shot. Uh, had a chance to win it. And just had a lot of opportunities to win that game, really, throughout the course of the game, I guess. And you still have a chance in the final second of the game. And Mari just off the inside lip of the rim, no good. Western now eight and seven, yeah, and so they got a shot yeah. to be over five hundred at the when it's all said and done. Chattanooga seven and eight, they got a shot right there, and then you know if ETSU, you know, I know they didn't, but if they won that game seven and eight, maybe they could have got a couple of wins, finished nine and nine, 
500 probably get yeah. you out of that now you're at six and nine you're let's be honest probably not going to win three in a row we take it but that's probably uh, that'd be awesome that'd be a great way to end the year but i don't yeah i think it's gonna be tough and yeah a couple takeaways and we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts of the game we're going to talk about but sanford 57 second half points last night against greensboro Jeez. and unbelievable come from behind. they double them up on free throw attempts i think 28 14 you know, West Carolina, we've already talked about. Chattanooga, I'm hearing now, which has changed from what I heard yesterday, but going up to yeah. Cullowee and talking to some other assistant coaches um, around the league, and they're talking around the league and talking to some other folks. At, uh, you know, they're, it's all over the map on Jake Stevens, but some folks are staunch belief he'll be back next week. Some are of the belief it will be tournament and – Chattanooga's not sure that he's going to come back. So is Chattanooga playing the game of like, yeah, we're not going to have him. Yeah, we're not going to have him. And then he comes out. I don't know what to believe. There are three. I heard three, three people. Well, more than that. I heard three stories from different people from around the league that oh boy. I kind of share collectively information that can be shared. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. you know trade secrets going around. Um, but you know, I think Josh Taylor's got a shot to come back because it's the left hand not the right hand so yeah. he could come back a hey, he did still have the cast on uh i think he's he, going to get reevaluated relatively soon he was dunking so. the ball yesterday now gingerly actually like putting the ball in the goal not like hanging on the rim and you know hitting the wrist whatever but hey, he was showing he could still uh jump a little bit still two points so uh chattanooga could change a little bit uh again if they get stevens back do they want him back they're really starting to rock and roll now i mean it's hard to say do do you not want him back? of course you want him back but does that change a little bit like we saw with Quez Glover, and it took a while for Sanford to get rolling again when Quez came back. Does that happen with Jake Stevens? And Chattanooga doesn't have that luxury of time. True, like Sanford does because it's it, you know it's very late in the season or tournament time. So. But also, yes, I would want my best player back. Now, for I, the tournament. I agree. Um, I've heard others <laughs> that have questioned, like, you know, that. But Wofford, ETSU, Wofford, big win, hanging on against Mercer. Greg Gary, now that's an interesting one. I had a couple people ask me, um, about Mercer, Greg Gary, if I thought, you know, could he be possibly on the hot seat? Because last year we knew who was kind of on the hot seat, and it all kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Everybody was on the hot seat. We kind of felt, you know, how it would go down. That's how it went down. I mean, obviously, you know, that with UNCG and, and Mike, you know, taking over there, uh, we've seen what Buckyball has been able to do. Um, certainly Richie's a staple now at, at Furman. I think Justin yeah. Gray has raised his profile with the year he's had. Dan Earls, I mean, he just got hired, so that's going on there. You know, Wofford, I think, pro- I'd be shocked if they uh, stayed with Dwight Perry. Um, of course, I wasn't sure they would stay, uh, you know, with Sean Watson in football either. Yeah, I, I, that one strikes me as a national search. The, the, the difference between this and, and the football is that the football team did get better and win more games over the course of the year. I, I feel like this Wofford team probably just, yeah, I don't think they've done enough to justify not seeing what's out there in, in the in the coaching pool this year. And, you know, besides that, knowing that there's an interim tag on Wofford, you're right, exactly. at, at yeah. Citadel VMI, first-year head coaches there, then, then Mercer. And that's the one that, you know, if if you had to pick a hot seat, that's basically the 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 phrase question was that they thought Greg Gary's on the hot seat and thoughts on that. And my thought would be he would be the only one I think would be on the hot. I mean, 
I actually have no inside information of all of these. He's just been there the longest, and they've had some struggles. I don't know if Tele Alvarez and all the stuff they had going on with him last year, that was a bit um, up and down. Yeah. This year they've had a ton of injuries, but is it one of those situations where Jim Cole's been known to pull some triggers uh, on some folks, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the AD at Mercer, and would he be willing to do that uh, with Greg Gary? I don't I don't know. I don't have the answer. Um I particularly like Greg as uh, he's one of the few coaches that spends a lot of time uh, with us before the game and stuff, mm-hmm. just kind of talking. So, got to know him, text with him back and forth occasionally. So, personally, I like Greg. I think, uh, you know, outside looking in, I think he's had a tough two years. But I guess the legitimate question is, yeah, you've had an injury last year. He had some injuries this year. But at some point, do you – keep going to that well or at some point is somebody looking at you and just say when baby that's a that's a great question I mean you think about it the year before Bob Hoffman was shown the door at Mercer uh he went 19 and 15 and they were top half the SoCon and then the next year they went 11 and 20 and 6 and 12 and it was like okay bye um and this um I mean this iteration of Mercer hasn't even really gotten that kind of traction. Last year, team wasn't super great. Uh, this year, team has been really tough. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's an, it's not a great situation to be in, but uh, I certainly think that there would be a conversation that is had about, hey, is this program going to go the direction that we want it to go? And I said this on the pod yesterday, we talked about um, conference expansion. There are only two teams in the SoCon that have an NCAA tournament win in the 21st century. Mercer's one of them. They beat Duke. So this is obviously a program that has tasted true mid-major excellence, and to be this far from it, I think you have to ask some some questions that may not have great answers to them. I thought that was the only time my wife was going to get kicked out of a church service as she showed up in the Mercer Orange for our Duke graduate preacher. Ha um, <laughs> Who took about three seconds to notice the orange-clad lady in the front row? Oh and, um, no! Yeah, I thought old Andrew was was gonna give the. Now I will say this: um, I actually uh, the church we we go to now. Um, the when I first met the senior pastor, he told me it was a Chattanooga graduate. But my wife looked at him and got in the car and says, "You cannot say no to this church because he went to Chattanooga." I said, "Yes, I can." <laughs> and then of course she won, and I'm going to church. But I'm just saying that stuff matters. Okay, people. I'm just Absolutely. Saying. If it Chad doesn't, if it doesn't okay. matter, what's okay. the point of being here? All right, we digress. Greg Gary, I, my gut, I don't know, because Jim Cole, man, he's a wild card. Um, what is it? Is this year four? Year four. Year yes. four. He's twelve and sixteen. They were sixteen and seventeen last year. Eight and ten in the league, and finished uh, seventh. So I they mean, played they on were Friday. Really, really decimated early in the year. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was telling me tissue had played. Six games with their whole roster. They were playing uh, in Freedom Hall with game two of their whole roster. So then I yeah. very quickly had to backtrack that um, comment. And then, of course, they won the game. So, I, man, and I mean, he's got – you're looking – I mean, obviously, Citadel VMI, you got new coaches. You kind of expect where they are. Um, you know, ETSU digressed a little bit this year. Uh, Mercer has digressed. And then everybody else – you know, I mean, Chat's got a new coach. So you, I mean, and they're coming off losing everybody that was on a championship team. 
UNCG's gotten tremendously better. Sanford continues to roll. Western's maybe the most improved team in the league. Yeah. Uh, man, I think if you had to throw a dart, if there was a change in the league, my gut feeling would it would be Greg Gary. And then after that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, could there be warm seats? Maybe. Probably could be a warm seat. Um, I mean, you probably have to look inward for a warm seat. I don't know about a hot yeah, seat. I, I, I think I, a hot seat's a uh, – is that a hot know. take? I mean, is that a hot take? That'd be a hot take. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I think Wofford is going to have a search. Yeah, and that's and interim. So, so that's di- – I mean – That's a little well, bit different, well, yeah. And and Mercer is a potential change. I mean, you look at the other teams at the bottom of the standings, like you're talking about, VMIs. What are the expectations at VMI? Right? I mean, if you're the Citadel – and you beat well, Furman, and and and, and uh, at year one Dan, of Ed Conroy, you got to be really pleased with that. I mean, but for VMI, Dan Earl took Jake Stevens with him. Yeah, so he took not only their coach go, but their best player, one of their best freshmen, and Hunter Hoff went with them as well. Ed Conroy is one of the few guys that's ever won in the history of the Citadel, so I have a weird feeling he'll be fine. Um, yeah, giving and it him seems a little like bit of that's time. That's a that's a program that's looking at that, going, "Hey, you know, we we won a handful of games this year. That's." progress we feel better i mean feel, i feel encouraged i will say this and i think this is a good showing for the league but if you if you really look at it championship games you know in the last five six years right uh Furman has been to them greensboro's been to them and won them yep. chattanooga's been to them won them wofford's been to them and won them etsu's been to them and won them Furman is the only one that hasn't won one, and then Sanford hasn't been to one, but those two with Greensboro seem to be on a collision course right now to at least get to the title game. So, I mean, to me, in five years, you you rotated about seven – I mean, it's, it's a pretty stout league if I could yeah. – you know, I realize the league maybe uh, – and not maybe, if you look at the numbers, they're not as good as they've been in the past. No, th- th- this is this is a down year for the Southern Conference for sure overall. But that's funny because when you look at some of the things around the league, a down year for the Southern Conference, still pretty good everywhere else in the country. But it is down as far as the overall numbers, the overall um, win totals, non-conference, some other things there. But also, just think about that. I mean, there's seven teams, um, six I guess, two, four, six with a possibility of Sanford being the seventh team in five-year span, give or take, to play in a title game. And I think you have eight programs that in a given year can say we expect to be relevant in the Southern Conference. We yeah, Mercer would be, be the other one. I, I agree. That would be. Uh, I, I think Mercer's one. Obviously, ETSU, Wofford, Chattanooga, Western, UNCG, Furman, Sanford, all those teams say, come in saying we, we want to compete in the Southern Conference. The Citadel – and VMI, I think expectations are a little bit different. I mean, especially, you know, short term for the Citadel, you're three years removed from going over into the SOCON. You're you're if this team wins two more games and goes seven and eleven this year, after going six and twelve last year, hey, great. Sounds awesome. That's progress. Uh, and if you get above five hundred, if it, that's that's the goal, I think, for the Citadel is be above five hundred. Win a game, maybe two in the tournament. See if we can throw a, a, a spanner in the works for somebody, and uh, and and they'll just have a, a team that we can enjoy watching. VMI, I think, is the same way. Is you know we don't you don't have to win the SoCon title every year. You don't have to contend every year. You don't even have to contend every other year. You just need to be a program that 
our cadets can cheer for, our alumni are happy about, are enthusiastic about, and can watch with pride. Um, and I, I don't think that necessarily means that you have to be a championship. That's what I love about college sports versus pro sports, where everybody's like, if you don't win the championship in one season, we're going to fire you. It's, I mean, look at what happened with um, uh, so many NFL coaches. The, the Texans did that. It's like, win or you're fired. And they don't win because the Texans are a mess. So they fire them. Um, just, and, it, and it leads to such a vicious cycle throughout the coaching ranks and throughout personnel turnover, staff turnover. In college basketball, the expectations are much more nuanced. They're much more uh, diverse. What do you want to do? Is your expectation to contend for a title? It, going into a specific year, what's your expectation versus your overarching ph philosophical desire to to contend? Okay, it, things can be a lot different, and you can define success a lot differently over the course of a season. And I love that. And I think the Citadel and VMI are great examples of that. And uh, I think there are a lot of teams in the conference that are okay with the Citadel and VMI being different because those teams just say, hey, great, you know, one less team to worry about and then lose to that team on I mean, the road. I mean, I remember the year before ETSU got in the Southern Conference, back in the Southern Conference, going over to Asheville with a few folks that have never experienced Southern Conference tournament, and the championship game was Wofford, Western Carolina. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Catamounts – and it's funny, there are more people that will show up for a Catamounts basketball game in Asheville than they will in Cullowee. And it is funny how they have a little bit more home court advantage in Asheville because that's where a lot of the alums are. And on Saturday sure. football, they do a good job of going over and supporting and getting nine, ten thousand people for a home football game. But for basketball, they just they just don't make the trip over normally. But sure. but they do for the Southern Commerce Tournament and that is a, a big advantage uh for Western Carolina when they get to, you know, thump the chest a little bit there. But Getting back to, I, I think, if there is a move, because, again, Wofford has an interim, so th that's a different scenario. They're probably going to um, get a, a new – either Dwight – it's two things. Dwight Perry either gets the job or they're going to get a new coach, right? Um, if there's another move in the Southern Conference, I could see maybe Greg Gary and Mercer. Other than that, I don't really – getting back to the original question that was posed from – um, you know, and I, and I take quite, listen, if you're a fan of the podcast and you got questions, you want our thoughts and opinion, all you got to do is send them. We'll give them to you. You may not like them or we may not have an answer or we may take a while to research it depending on what it is. But the question of, you know, hot seat wise, I think that would be the only one. And if Greg stays, then coach Gary next year, obviously would, it would, I think would have to think be a make or break year for him so that's sort of our thoughts on the southern conference men's basketball coming up saturday uh, a slew of games there's one sunday game and that is etsu and of course the Furman paladins yes correct yeah, yeah but the saturday games will roll through the slate here real quick i just can't believe Furman lost to the citadel that is the funniest thing that just makes me laugh see oh, see man. see it doesn't me and here's why ETSU plays who Sunday? They play at Furman coming off the Furman Paladins. Yeah. And who is going to be really mad? I'm assuming. The Furman Paladins. Yeah, well, I don't like Paladins because I play D&D &D and everybody hates Paladins in D&D. Yeah, &D, so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that, 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 I mean, it sounds right to me. All right, UNCG is going to be at Chattanooga, <laughs> so we'll see what happens here. If Chattanooga can keep the ball rolling, that's a CBS Sports Network game. Sanford at poor VMI 
Wofford goes to Citadel. If you're a Buck fan, you need the Citadel to win that contest. Western and Mercer. I guess you need to pull for Western as well if you're an ETSU fan. For Greg Gary, could be a nice win if he picks that up. The Citadel, do they have a little bit more magic? Obviously, Wofford isn't Furman, but certainly could they make it uh, two big wins in a row with Stephen Clark with Bonkers last night for the Citadel, and then ETSU and Furman on Sunday, and then we'll re-rack everything uh, after the weekend. So that is the look at the Southern Conference men's basketball. talk women's hoops i think we should big one tonight for the second time in three games etsu will play the first place team in the socon on last thursday it was samford at their place and they went out and hit a bunch of threes over the top of that three two zone and got the bulldogs uncomfortable andrea bailey was banged up and ETSU won that game. First time that uh, someone has beaten, was it, I think it's Samford and Furman uh, in the same season at their building in 10 years, and it's happened twice this season because Wofford did it too, I want to say. Or one at, maybe it was a different team that they no, won at. It was Wofford, and they won at uh, Samford and Mercer. Samford and Mercer. You're right, you're right, you're right. Samford and Mercer. So... Two teams have done something that hasn't been done in the last decade, and they did it like a week and a half apart. Uh, that's remarkable. So you go on the road, you beat Sanford, you beat first place Sanford, you beat the preseason favorite in Mercer at their place by 16 points. Now you're back home. Wofford is kind of firing on all cylinders in the way that the, um, certainly more than they have, I think, at any point this year. With four games left, they've already tied the high water mark for Division One wins in a season or for wins in a season in division one rather at Wofford which is set last year with 17 think about that ETSU we're talking about hey might set the program record if they went out they could get to 23 you know you win some games in in Asheville and 24 25 26 start talking about is this the greatest ETSU team ever but uh, Wofford is now at 17, and they're like, wow, this might be the best team ever at Wofford. Uh, they've got a terrific trio, obviously led by Rachel Rose. Jackie uh, Jackie Carmen is the other big one. Lily Hatton is the third, kind of the third wheel of that. But uh, Rose is their leading scorer, their leading rebounder, their leader in assists. A phenomenal pickup for t- Jimmy Garrity out of USC Upstate. And they've won, what is it? Four of their last five, the losses were both at home. So they won their last four on the road. Their last road loss was at Western Carolina. But uh, they lost to the Bucks at home by 17. I feel like this is a team that's playing better basketball, chomping at the bit to come out here and, and try to take one away from an ETSU team that hasn't played its best 40 minutes on its own floor yet I don't think I think there's this Bucks group still has something left to achieve in terms of playing their best game at Brooks as we get into the final two games at Brooks this year I think here's the oddity of the Southern Conference women's basketball 
the top four teams are all four and one on the road. All of them have worse home records. Yep. Wofford's three and two, Chats three and two, Sanford's three and three, ETSU two and three. Home court advantage does not hold water, apparently, in the women's side of the Southern Conference basketball. Now, I think ETSU, after the first three games, had kind of reinvented themselves in league play. And it kind of started, right, with the road trip to Wofford. Went at the first game right after the – They went Furman. 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 Furman got going. Then the second game was Wofford. And but Wofford, they got those. And they just smashed Wofford in the third quarter. So, I think, you know, the one thing, whatever they've been able to discover of how to – kind of I don't want to say reinvent themselves that's not the right but anyways work figure stuff out and rework the offense everyone's starting to do everything they're Mm -hmm. supposed to but the biggest jump in all of that to me is the reigning Southern Conference player of the week and Kenny Foley because she does so much and has improved tremendously from the beginning and not just taking care of the basketball not just figuring out how to get to the rim and score. Then she knocks down some outside shots. Then she's turned into an unbelievable facilitator. Now you add the rebounding aspect. I mean, defensively, there's really nothing that uh, she's not six, eight times better at than where she started and is playing at a high level. And I think that's a, uh, you know, a slight reason why they've been so good because it was all Giselle Thomas early in the season. Then we saw a little bit of Neve Brown able to kind of kick in. Then you would have a one-off game or maybe a Sarah Thompson or Courtney Moore would hit four threes or something. But for the most part, Kendall Foley's become that, you know, a top three option. I don't even know. I don't want to say she's the third option, but it's a top three option, right? You know, you probably still – Giselle's going to get uh, some shots. Neve's going to get some shots. Then you're talking about Kent. But I think Kendall Foley in the last three-week run that she's had is about as good a run as anybody's had at, at ETSU – um, maybe since Erica Haynes Overton um, had a had a stretch of about a a month and a half where we used to joke about she just blacked out and averaged like thirty for the whole month. But I mean, other than that, but that was again she was great defensively and she was a great score. But Erica may have like seven eight turnovers, but you live with it because she threw thirty two on the board and had six steals or something to that effect. But since really uh, number wise, I don't know anybody in the last five six years have had a run this past month or so that Kendall Foley's had. She's been fantastic to watch. Uh, the 28 against Sanford was really fantastic and needed. I mean, they needed uh, that kind of st- performance to win the game. And this is a group that I think, unlike maybe some other programs around the conference, didn't necessarily have built-in star power at the beginning of the year. But they have cultivated star power over the course of the season, and they have three of them with Giselle Thomas, who we knew was going to be pretty active scorer, right? We kind of had that feeling that she was going to be a player that's going to get a lot of touches. Neve Brown has come on strong, and Kendall Foley. And Courtney Moore is more of a 3-and-D type player. Jaybo Davis is a really strong post player and has come alive in the second half of the season. But it's those three guards, and I say guards, Giselle is listed as a guard, but she plays the four. Those three are the three that really lift this team up. And you watch the numbers for the last few games, their decision-making with the basketball, at least in terms of valuing the ball without... Like, you, you, a shot's going up, right? Shots are going up, um, 
on a regular basis, and it doesn't even really necessarily matter who it is, there aren't going to be a ton of turnovers. This team has turned the ball. This is just this is since um, December 20th. This is since Longwood. These are the turnover numbers for ETSU in a game. 9, 10, 12, 11, 13, 13, 11, 9, 10, 9, 4, 7, 11. If you're under 15 turnovers a game, that's where Mock wants them to be. You got a really good chance to win a ball game. Well, ETSU hasn't had more than 13 in a game since before Christmas. So this group is just valuing the basketball collectively extremely well. Kendall's a big part of that. Uh, Also, I think the guards have done a better job of executing off screens and not uh, getting offensive fouls called on their post players. They have to be more diligent about that because you don't have the third body in the paint. Like Jayla Rufus-Milder offers you a third option uh, as a post, as a screener. So you got to be more responsible about waiting to go to roll off of that screen and get downhill and, and execute. So overall, I think this group has grown together. They're playing better together because they've developed chemistry over the course of the season. That's leading to better execution, fewer turnovers, more opportunities for your stars to shine and for stars to emerge because we didn't really think of Kendall as a star at the beginning of the year, but I think we're going to have to over the next year plus however many games are left in this 2022-23 season. Two years plus however many games are left this season. I think the big thing is these are the two best teams in turnover margin. Plus six for Wofford, plus four for ETSU. Both teams really value the basketball. Wofford's the best assistant. Now, this is in league action. That way we're using a little more, you know, apples-to-apples type uh, stats. And and since they've played 11 games, uh, or Wofford and ETSU played 10 games, but you got 10-11 game sample size. Those two are by far. Nobody else is above 1.2 on their turnover margin. Assisted turnover, Wofford's at 1.3. ETSU right at 1. But the biggest difference, you know, Wofford likes to score the basketball. Six, uh, 72 points during a re- uh, regular season around. In league play at 68%. But ETSU, stingiest defense uh, right at 57 points given up. Chattanooga is just a little ahead of them in that category. But it's the field goal percentage defense, I think, that ETSU's really started to pride themselves on. They give up not a lot of open looks. They make it tough on you to shoot the basketball. And then sneaky good at the free throw line the Bucks have been in conference play. Second best free throw shooting in league action at 74%. Wofford's next to last. So, a couple things. ETSU and Wofford combined for 17 turnovers in the first game. Yep. So, turnovers weren't an issue in that contest particularly. Then you would talk about, okay, well, Wofford really likes to score. Well, they only scored 58 points. Well, how did they do field goal percentage? ETSU held them to 31%. And in free throws, ETSU just 4-4 from the line, and Wofford did get there a little more 6 of 10, but ETSU shot 47%. If the Bucks can stay turnover for turnover with Wofford, which they did in the first game. Now, I think they need to get to the line more than four times. Now, I know they won by a lot, so it didn't matter in that one. But I think in today's game, tonight's game, they'll need to get to the line more than four times against Wofford. But if they can hold Wofford to 32 or below field goal percentage, then I think ETSU has another opportunity to walk away with a healthy win against Wofford. They give up 40% from the floor. And you know, and get give up double the free throw attempts like they did in the first matchup. Then now you're talking about a, a little bit more of a dogfight uh, to get out of 
Brooks Gym with a win. But to me, Wofford's, you know, it's a three-headed monster. And, you know, everybody knows about Jackie Carmen, a thousand-point scorer. Lily Hatton, a thousand-point scorer now, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. And then, you know, you add in Rachel Rose, who has been phenomenal uh, this last stretch, and she's averaging, what, about 16 a game at this point. So it's really three ladies that they will rely on. If they get others to score, I mean, they'll take it, but that's not really – you know their deal and in the first matchup Jackie Carmen got 12 Rachel Rose got 11 now Annabelle Sanchez big game with 13 but Lily Hatton just nine points on four of 16 you look at the numbers Rose was five of 14 Hatton four of 16 Carmen four of 11 I mean if they put up those type numbers again then I think ETSU uh, will be able to pick up an easy win uh, in Brooks Gym now those ladies start to shoot, you know, 40, 45, 50% from the floor. That's going to be a rough night, and I don't know if ETSU has enough firepower. Annabelle Schultz. What did I say? You said Sanchez. I think you were thinking of Annabelle Sanchez. Oh, pitcher. yeah, heck of a pitcher, right-hander, right? Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Oh. The 28-out uh, perfect game, remember that one? Mm, yes. Where, they, where he had the guy, the guy was out at first, and the ump just blew it. Yeah. Um, Jim no. Joyce was the umpire who blew that, by the way. Good. Yes, he was. Well, and I don't, well, if if Schultz is having that kind of game, you take that because if it means that they're having to go to their third and fourth option, I really wonder if Wofford is going to be able to get stops. That is the the issue that I have with the Terriers in general is that this is a team, I've said this before, I think they are very talented. Rachel Rose is a phenomenal player. I do not think they are super organized. And defensively, they don't do a lot to try to stop you. Offensively, they don't post up. They don't get physical with you, which is where I think teams honestly have a chance to kind of try to overpower ETSU is, is because they can, you know, they can get to the pain and they can bang around a little bit. If you play five out on the perimeter and you just stand there and you don't move and you pass the ball around, then ETSU is going to be able to defend you. If you go get those paint touches first, though, and you're able to get the ball then back out for three, that's a lot of what Chattanooga was really good at. It's something that Samford didn't execute because their best player was banged up, uh, but also ETSU did a good job of taking it away from them. But uh, at the same time, Wofford's not good at that. Wofford doesn't have a post-up big. Hatton isn't interested in playing on the interior. She wants to be a screener on the outside. She wants to take threes. And so they're going to play five out and they are going to be a little bit of a mess in transition. They are definitely not good in a half court on defense. So if you can get shots to go the way ETSU got shots to go the first time and play good defense, which we know ETSU is more than capable of playing good defense. I don't think Wofford comes in here and scores the kind of points they need to win this game. And really, Wofford, to win games, probably needs to score in the mid to high 60s at least to have a chance to win. I don't think they can do that against ETSU. I think it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, the one thing I'd say is ETSU has struggled at home more than on the road, and Wofford, for whatever reason, has looked better on the road than they have. Nothing makes sense uh, on the 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 women's side. If everyone was four and one at home and everybody's like five hundred, give or take, or two and three on the road, three and two, like you're like, okay, it makes sense. But yeah. I don't know what the difference is. Why every uh, the top four teams are all four and one on the road and struggling at home? Well, just for Wofford's case, look at their last six games. 
Seven, they've allowed 75, 71, 75, 66, 68, and 62. If you're giving up those kinds of numbers, ETSU will beat you. ETSU will beat you on their home floor. I, you, you, Wofford has to play better defense for ETSU to be in a dogfight here at the end of this game. I, I think the Bucks are too too polished right now offensively in terms of their execution. Whether the percentages go up and down or whatever, their execution is really sharp and it's about finishing at the rim. That can sometimes come and go, but it doesn't go through big protracted, you know, eight-minute scoring routes, right, where Wofford can hit shots and go on a run and separate and dominate. ETSU just, if, if ETSU's flat out not hitting shots or Wofford is playing better defensively than they have pretty much at any point in the last month, then Wofford, I think, maybe has a chance to win this ballgame. But Wofford, this is a prove-it game for Wofford for me. They're in first place in the SoCon, but ETSU beat them pretty soundly, and they look totally unorganized in that game in Spartanburg on the 21st. I need to see something more from Wofford tonight if, I, if you want me to believe that this team has a chance of cutting down the nets in Asheville. Look at the only other game tonight as we record on Thursday. It's Furman and Chattanooga, and then everything will even out on Saturday because after Thursday, everyone would have played 11 games. Everybody's got three games left. Furman, ETSU Saturday. We'll have that game for you on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Uh, both games covered. Keith Brake, uh, pregame show 30 minutes prior, 6.30 tonight, 1.30 tomorrow, or Saturday, I should Correct. say, Furman. Then you look at Wofford will go to Chet. That'll be another huge game. And then it's the uh, travel partners. Western Carolina goes to UNCG. Mercer at Sanford. So some huge games on the women's side. Again, with the yep. less games, all these coming down the stretch are super important. And so we'll be able to break down all those games for you on Monday. So. Should worth noting, this is the game in hand for ETSU on the, some of the teams in front of them. They're uh, a game back of Wofford, a game back of Chattanooga. They are... Technically a game and a half back, I think. Of, or actually, it's half a game back of Sanford. This is that game in hand where once they play this one, everybody's caught up, and uh, I believe everybody plays two games the final weekend of the season. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I believe most or all the teams in the SoCon will play their final, will play two opponents the final weekend, and um, ETSU will kind of make up that game in hand on some of the other teams, Sanford and Mercer in particular, and UNCG as well uh, this week with this game. Yeah, yeah. Once once today is over with, and we're recording on Thursday, so if you listen on Friday, once you get to Friday, everyone has three games left. So everyone yes. will play Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. So the scoreboard watching will really be in full effect. All right, not a super long pod. We went like a marathon yesterday. Yes, it was a good did. one. Correct. If you haven't listened to that, we talk about our expansion plans, what yep. teams we would add. What else we talk about? I well, I mean, I, we talked to Austin Gatewood. We talked about yeah, uh, men's hoops a little bit, and uh, Austin was great. Yeah, I went a little bit deeper on the uh, the SoCon expansion candidates than you did, just because I I did have the decency to rate the teams that I wouldn't really want to take, but. If absolutely forced to, it take. Yeah, I just would rather not. But I mean, I guess you could always take teams and force to take them. It's probably better to have a list that has a cutoff in the middle of it and have something after that than to just cut off because, like, what happens if all of your best options fall through? 
I guess that's become, why you listen to this podcast. That's right. Become Jay and Keith. Back to the network. Listen to this podcast. There's more than just your fallback option. Oh, you got to be kidding me.